Okay, so now that we have a, a broad overview of these three universal characteristics, I'd like to come back to the third one, to anatta, not self, in just a little bit more detail. And just to say again, you know, we have six whole weeks to explore this. So if it's not crystal clear right now, don't stress. Don't uh, feel like you need to understand everything I'm saying immediately because we do have this luxury to keep coming back and revisiting and hopefully understanding it in, on deeper and deeper levels. But on perhaps a more conceptual level, what this teaching is pointing to is that it's cutting through our mistaken assumption that we have something called a self that is continuous and independent and in control. And on that level, we might understand, at least intellectually, that those notions of self are not so accurate. And yet, on a more of a felt sense level, there still is a feeling that, well, yes, this is me. This is who I am. And obviously, I'm me. I'm not Leona or Beth or Judy. You all have your own life experiences, your own histories, your own conditionings, your own bodies, and so on. It's just common sense. But a big part of what this teaching is pointing to is when we cling to that sense of self, to the extent that we identify with it, take it to be real and solid and me, to that extent we're going to suffer. So the whole purpose of these teachings is about freedom from suffering. It's not just about playing with intellectual ideas. Because I think most of us, most of the time, we do tend to operate as if we were the star at the center of our own universe. And it's as if we are in our own movies, creating our own movie called All About Me, and I'm the star, I'm the lead actor, I'm the producer, I'm the director, I'm the script writer, I'm the publicist, and so on. And that's how most of us tend to operate in the world until we have a little more understanding. And we get so fascinated and so enchanted by the dramas that were playing out on the screen that we don't even recognize that we are constructing that ourselves. So again, this teaching of Vipassana, the word Vipassana etymologically means seeing distinctly or seeing separately, seeing clearly. So we can think of Vipassana as a way of breaking down our experience into its component parts so we can see the parts of it separately. And when we see the parts separately, we understand the mechanism of how we're constructing this sense of self and world so it's a little bit like being at the movies and being asked to withdraw our attention from the drama on the screen and turn and look at the projector these days they're all digital but I remember going to the movies and occasionally looking up and seeing the wheels and the film and the lights and all the stuff and going oh it's just a movie and there's a, a moment of you pulled out of that seductive reality so in the same way, Vipassana is inviting us to look at the projector and deconstruct our experience so that we're not quite so enchanted with the dramas that are playing out on the screen. And perhaps even that might sound 
somewhat abstract. But again, highlighting the sense that the whole point of this understanding is to free us from suffering. And often, the sense of self, when it's very strong, is associated with different levels of suffering. And even in English, in our language, you can get a sense of that. So a few years ago, I was wanting to find some synonyms for the word self-conscious. And so I went to a big dictionary and I was looking looking it up and I found this huge long list of English words that can be prefaced by the prefix self. And as I was reading these words, I realized, wow, most of these are pretty unpleasant. <laughs> there were not actually that many words starting with self that were pleasant. So I'm going to read you just a sample of what was in the dictionary. And as you hear them, just notice any responses in yourself, your body, your heart, your mind. Self-absorbed. Self-aggrandizing. Self-approving. Self-centered. Self-complacent. Self-congratulatory. Self-conscious. Self-delusion. Self-important. Self-indulgent. Self-opinionated. Self-pitying. Self-referencing. Self-righteous. Self-satisfied. Self-serving. So what did you notice in your body, your mind, when you heard this list of words? Any particular responses? Sharp, anger, like hitting, fragility, defense, constriction, solidity, aversion, yeah, unpleasant. I had a similar response when I was reading them in the dictionary, the sense of tightening and narrowing and uh, heaviness, burden. Mm. So I did censor out some of the more pleasant words, but I didn't do a statistical analysis of the proportion of pleasant to unpleasant, but it hit me at that time that most of the words associated with self were these kind of words that were quite uh, tightening. So even in our language, we can get a sense of that. We can get a sense of how referring back to a self often brings with it this quality of narrowing, tightening, contracting, separation between self and other, defensiveness, and so on. And seeing as you all are experienced meditators, I'm pretty confident that you've all had the Experience at times of not that, of when the sense of self was less tightly formed, usually there's more of a sense of ease, of lightness, of acceptance, of spaciousness, of being open to new possibilities, of, um, in a way, porousness. And sometimes we uh, can experience the Brahma-Vihara qualities that I referred to earlier, of kindness or metta, compassion, joy, equanimity, 
when we're not so tightly bound to a sense of self. It's as if there's literally more room in the being for these boundless qualities to start to emerge. So there's a quote from the Tibetan master Shantideva that I really love that's pointing to this in some ways. He says, All the joy the world contains has come through wishing happiness for others. All the misery the world contains has come from wanting pleasure for oneself. All the joy the world contains has come through wishing happiness for others. All the misery the world contains has come from wanting pleasure for oneself. So as this practice deepens, there's a shift from self-centered to other-centered, or perhaps more accurately to non-centered. So there is this blurring of distinction between self and other. So one caution, though, in relation to all of this. This is not about somehow making the sense of self wrong or bad. In some Buddhist circles that I'm in, I hear people saying things like, ooh, and then I caught myself selfing. (laughs) And it's like the self that shouldn't be selfing, you know, and it's the self that's not supposed to self that's creating the sense of self that, no, you know, it just gets all tangled up. And it's a little bit, to me, it has perhaps flavors of sort of Christian sinning or self-righteousness or something. So the sense of self is a natural part of being a human being it's whether or not we're identifying it and believing it fully that's the the key so the sense of self is itself an empty arising it only has as much solidity as we give it and that's part of where all of this practice is pointing to so again a lot that we could unpack and hopefully will unpack over the next few weeks. But for now, I wanted to do an exercise together in a way to try and take a sort of baseline snapshot of where we are now in relation to our sense of self, in relation to this understanding. So hopefully you all have your notebooks and pens or pen and paper Is what I'm going to invite us to do. <laughs> do you need a piece of paper? Okay, I'll give you the instructions first and then we can sort out the practicalities. Okay. So you're going to form into pairs and I'll give you maybe five or so minutes. I'll just wait till everybody's back. Okay, everybody ready? So you're going to form into pairs in a moment, and I'll give you about five minutes just to write as many statements as you can in response to the question, who are you or how do you define yourself? at this moment and I'm going to ask you don't start writing just now because I'd like to give us time and do it all together but I'm going to ask you to write statements rather than a long philosophical treatise 
because when the writing time is up, you're going to give your response to your partner and they will read those statements to you. So you're going to need to write clearly and you also might want to consider how personal you're going to be. You don't have to be, you know, it's your discretion how much you want to share. But the idea is that you then get to hear some of those statements read back to you and then we'll swap and the other person will read what you wrote. Is that clear in terms of the format? Great. Great.